Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and I was told I sometimes maybe don't give enough serial killer content, so I asked them to give me a serial killer, and they did. We are going to cover the Freeway Killer, aka William George Bonin. He was a serial killer and twice charged sex offender who went on a torture and killing spree in 1979 and 1980 in Southern California. Before I jump in, I just want to thank you guys so much for tuning into Storytime Podcast. You know, this is something that I love to do. I really enjoy true crime. I love sharing true crime with a true crime community. And without further ado, let's get started. Oh, don't forget to leave me a review, preferably five stars. Okay. William Bonin would lure young men and adolescent boys to his van where he would then rape, torture, murder, and leave their deceased bodies primarily along freeways in Southern California. He killed at least 21 boys and young men and is suspected of 15 more. How did William Bonin become so damaged and angry? Why this burning desire to inflict pain? After considering his childhood and an extensive family history of molestation and abuse, it's really hard to say if this was nature or nurture. I think it was both. I think it was a combination of all the worst things a person could experience as a young boy, coupled with the possibility that he was just born with this darkness inside of him. William was born in Connecticut, January of 1947. He was the middle child of three boys. His father was described to be like a really nice, normal guy until he went to war. And when he came back from war, he was a lot different. He was abusive and he had developed a drinking and gambling problem. Despite this, him and his wife, Alice, did go ahead and have three children together. And William Bonin's father became more abusive towards Alice and drank more and more. And then she began too to drink. They both were super neglectful parents. The neighborhood felt really bad for the boys and they would feed them and clothe them. They basically just lived off hand-me-downs from their neighborhood. You know what I mean? Living with the family was Alice's father. He was actually, he was a convicted child molester. He even tried to molest Allison after she got married. Apparently it's something that he had already done her whole life and he thought he could continue it into her adulthood. But despite this, he lived with them and he was left with the boys all the time to which he did molest them. He molested William and both his brothers. On top of this, Alice also is said to have believed that their father actually raped them as well. I heard in another podcast, she said that she didn't know how, she just knew. In an attempt to shield the boys from more abuse, Alice actually took them to live in an orphanage. This was in 1953, so Bonin was only six years old. By six years old, he'd already been severely neglected, molested, and beaten by his grandfather and his father alike. This had been the only attention he received from them, by the way. Imagine what this would do to a six-year-old. Unfortunately, the orphanage that she sent her boys to to protect them was very, very strict, and they inflicted really harsh punishment for major or minor infractions. And Bonin, after his arrest, nearly refused altogether to discuss the orphanage. He did say that he was molested and sexually abused by older men. 
including a Catholic priest that would come around to the orphanage. But he actually said that from the age of seven-ish, eight, he would go along with the sexual assaults. He, to him, he was consenting so long as they would tie his hands behind his back. Some psychological studies and analysis mentioned that this could be because this is how he thought this was supposed to happen. He'd been held down so many times or been restrained by adults such as his father, grandfather, and the priest that he just began reenacting what he felt like he was supposed to do. Bonin returned to live with his family at the age of nine, so that's three years that he was gone. As soon as he got home, though, he started getting in all kinds of trouble. He would, like, round up neighborhood hoodlums, and they would go through and just steal whatever they could. He also got a combination of petty theft against him, and he went to a juvenile detention center at the age of 10. Although it sounds like Juvie would be a more ideal place to live than his home, he was still severely abused physically and sexually by a variety of people there as well. We're talking, you know, guards, people who worked there, older boys, and even his adult counselor. In 1961, he moved back home, but his parents quickly decided that they were going to move to California due to the fact that their house was about to be foreclosed on, and they just decided, hey, we're going to hit the road. Shortly after they made it to California, though, William Bonin's dad died of cirrhosis of the liver. Mm Mm-hmm, all that drinking. Of course, the family probably didn't really mourn that long. Bonin was an awful teenager. For one, he had become a child molester at like a very young age and he would molest his little brother and other little kids in the neighborhood. He'd usually lure them to the house with promises of like alcohol, then he'd assault him and he had also turned into a really big thief. Alice could tell that her son was a homosexual and that just was a little bit off. So she wanted to do something to try and curb this. She suggested that he married a young woman. He did agree to become engaged to the woman, which is so weird to me. But rather than go through with the marriage immediately, he actually enlisted in the military. See, his father had been in the military as well. And so Bonin joined the Air Force the same year he graduated high school. During his service, he logged 700 hours of combat and patrol. He was an aerial gunman during a five-month active duty during the Vietnam War. He actually received a medal of recognition for risking his own life to save a fellow soldier. So apparently while they were in combat, there was a man down, and Bonin literally left his weapon where it was, threw it down in some, I'm sure he was in, you know, they're out on the field, And he left his weapon where it was, hurry up, rushed over, helped the guy move, ran back to his gun, and then started shooting the enemies coming. So that was his little moment of badassery in Nam. Bonin did say that during his time in Nam, he had a lot of consensual sex with many men and women. And he also said that his time in Nam instilled the belief that human life is overrated. Although it may seem like coming to age and military discipline would do Bonin good, he received a medal, he put someone else's life above his, 
Um, maybe he could become a better man, but he hadn't. During what's known as the Tet Offensive, which was a surprise attack from the North Vietnamese Army against the South Vietnamese Army and their allies, which included the United States. So while they were attacking in what they called Tet Offensive, William Bonin held two of his fellow soldiers at gunpoint where he made them undress and then sexually assaulted them in the middle of an attack. So October 1968, William was honorably discharged and he went home. He married the girl. There's very little information about it. It didn't last for very long. And after that, they divorced and he moved in with his mom. He left the military of October 1968. And one month later, November 17th, 1968, Bonin sexually assaulted a young man. William Bonin was only 21. This quickly became something that he wanted to do regularly. So he would lure his victims into his van where he would then physically assault and restrain them so he could forcibly sodomize the boys, making them also engage in oral sex and inflicting torture on them. He would particularly bludgeon them or inflict pain to their testicles by tightly squeezing them. Bonin was actually arrested in 1969, though, for his crimes. Apparently, he was caught trying to restrain a 16-year-old. Okay, so he was sentenced to an Altiscadero state. I know I jacked up the name of that, but he was sentenced to a state hospital. And he was obviously a dangerous sexual offender that they needed some evaluation and treatment before he could go to prison. He had a series of psych evals and they ultimately determined that he had the symptoms of a manic depressant and damage to his prefrontal cortex of his brain, which is very interesting. So the prefrontal cortex is a part of your brain that helps orchestrate and consider your thoughts and actions. It moderates your thoughts and behaviors essentially. So someone with this damage would lack the ability to like control or suppress unhealthy and harmful impulses. The state hospital found that and they also found William to have an above average IQ of 121. Okay, so for my serial killer fans, I immediately wanted to compare this to the IQ of Ed Kemper. And Ed Kemper tested at a 145. So for those a little bit unfamiliar maybe with IQ tests, a 90 to a 109 is considered normal. 110 to 119 is considered superior intelligence. 120 to 140 is very superior intelligence. And then anything over 140 is like damn near genius. While at the state hospital, Bonin said to have had little to no memory of the orphanage. He said he had no memories of abuse or at juvie. And then he totally denied ever being physically abused at all, basically anywhere in his life. But his body exam told a totally different story. He had severe, severe scarring on his rear and on his head. So after two years in the state hospital, he was released to go to prison where he repeatedly raped and forced acts of sexual violence on other inmates. But don't worry, he was still released from prison, okay? Um, doctors concluded he was no longer a threat to society. I think that 
he did this shit in the state hospital and they sent his ass to the prison thinking oh they're equipped to deal with this and the state prison was like okay we got to get rid of this guy i seriously think that's the only way that someone who's overpowering and raping inmates would be released with these kind of charges against them so anyway the thing I don't understand about sex crimes sometimes is that people can participate in multiple brutal sexual assaults. Remember, he went to prison for restraining that 16-year-old, but they had found out that he had been, you know, beating and raping teenage boys. And he got released from prison after only a few years. See, I've seen murderers who show more mercy to their victims and are way less likely to reoffend receive way harsher sentences and I don't understand that. There are harsher penalties for drugs than there are sex crimes and sex crimes against minors and they usually lead to some of the most vicious crimes as those perpetrators escalate. So crazy. So after three months of being released from prison, he decided he was going to pick up a hitchhiker in Garden Grove, 14-year-old David McVicker. So not long after getting into the car, did Bonin make him super uncomfortable by asking him if he was gay? The boy was like, oh, hell no. He wanted out of the car and Bonin refused. He actually drove him to a field, made him strip down at gunpoint, and then he beat and raped David. Afterwards, he began to choke David with his own shirt, but David was screaming and all of a sudden Bonin just stopped and he became super apologetic. And he was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what came over me. I'm so sorry. Drove him home and just casually was like, oh, we'll we'll meet again David immediately went in and told his mom what happened and she called the police and the police were able to put a bolo out on Bonin's vehicle two days later police were getting frantic phone calls from onlookers of a man trying to run over a 15 year old boy in the street and the vehicle description fit none other than the bolo out for Bonin He'd offered the boy $35 for sex, and when the boy refused, he tried hitting him with his van, and when he missed, he just kept trying to hit him over and over. So, of course, they arrested him, and he was arrested for that incident, and he had charges of rape, forcible oral copulation of a minor, and the attempted abduction of the 15-year-old boy. He pled guilty to all these charges on December 31st of 1975, and he was sentenced 1 to 15 years. He was 27 or 28 when he was released, a couple months shy of only two years he did have a supervised probation but you guys his supervised probation was only 18 months after his release it seems bonin tried to make himself as unsuspecting as possible he got an apartment a mile from his mom in downey california he made friends with the young teenage boys around by being you know one of the cool guys he'd invite them to drink and hang out supply minors with alcohol And on top of this, he did have a girlfriend, and he would take her roller skating on Sundays. Later, informants said that the reason Bonin skated on Sundays with his girlfriend was because he was really busy killing boys on his Friday and Saturday nights. He totally bought a pedophile van, by the way. It was a used green Ford Ecoline van, carpeted green in the interior, which he removed all of the interior handles and switches to prevent anyone he kidnapped from getting out of it. 
Bonin's tactic was pretty much the same. He lured hitchhikers between the ages of 12 and 19 into his van. He would then overpower them, restrain them with cuffs, cords, wires, just whatever worked best for the moment and that he had around to restrain them with. And then he would severely rape and beat the men their bodies and even their genitals squeezing crushing or removing their genitals completely he would stab them sometimes he'd cut their throats twice he shoved an ice pick through their ears most boys had been strangled with their own shirts that Bonin used a tire iron to twist around the shirt over and over so it'd be really tight one man actually had to drink hydraulic acid and one boy literally died of shock All this took place mostly within the van and the bodies were discarded shortly after the crimes. The first victim to be killed by Bonin was with his accomplice, Vernon Butts. Okay, so Vernon Butts is someone that he met through a mutual acquaintance named Everett Frazier. Everett was a 43-year-old neighbor to Bonin who partied a lot and often threw parties that Bunnen would attend. Vernon Butts, 21, was one of the party's attendees, so this is how they met. Butts was a weirdo. He worked at a porcelain factory and was a part-time magician who fascinated, fascinated with occult things. I mean, he was both scared of Bonin, though, and intrigued. He did say that he rather enjoyed watching and participating with Bonin, but didn't quite have the enthusiasm, I don't think, for the actual killing part that Bonin had. I don't know though. The first victim to be killed by them was 13-year-old Thomas Glenn Lundgren. He was leaving his parents' house at 10.50 a.m. May 8th, 1979 when he was picked up by the two men. I believe Butts actually drove the van around for Bonin while Bonin raped and tortured the boy. The next morning, the boy was found deceased. He only had on the ironclad t-shirt he'd left his house in. He'd sustained intense trauma and bludgeoning to his face and head, stabbed multiple times, been cut across his throat, and had his genitals removed. Nearby his body were his clothes and genitals. They were just kind of strung out. These were brutal crimes with a lot of violence and pain infliction. It was only two months later that they abducted 17-year-old Mark Shelton as he was walking to the movie near Beach Boulevard. Screams were heard, so it was assumed that he was actually snatched this time or forced and not lured into the vehicle. The teenager was bound and sodomized with foreign objects. One is said to have been a pool cue. So this is actually the young man who died of shock. He literally just died of shock and they dumped him in the San Bernardino County just laid him out somewhere along the freeway the next day they lured Marcus Gratz now this was a 17 year old foreign exchange student from Germany he was last seen hitchhiking August 5th 1979 and his corpse was found naked and dumped in Malibu Canyon with 77 stab wounds and a nylon rope still around his neck as well as an ignition wire wrapped around one of his ankles. Later that same month, Bonin and Butts picked up a 15-year-old named Donald Hyden, August 27th at 1 a.m. At 11 a.m., he was found deceased, and he had been strangled, raped, and his throat slashed. They placed his deceased body into a dumpster this time. The pattern continued. September 9th, 17-year-old David Marilla was last seen on his bike headed to the movies when he too disappeared and was found raped and mutilated like the others. 
This continued and bodies kept building up. People were scared and some hitchhikers quit taking rides from men altogether. However, Butts did not want to participate anymore and he was just like, no, I'm not going to go anymore. So with that happening, Bonin actually had to act alone temporarily. His first solo victim was Dennis Frank Fox on December of 1979. The 17-year-old had ligature marks indicating he'd been bound through an attack. He had severe blunt force trauma to his head, and he had ultimately died of strangulation. He was found naked, beaten, and sexually assaulted. Ten days later, Bonin killed 15-year-old John Kilpatrick from Long Beach, and weeks later, New Year's Day of 1980, he killed 16-year-old Michael Franson McDonald. However, solo killing is not something that Bonin continued. He found another accomplice, 18-year-old Gregory Miley. Miley was a transient who had worked his way to California from Texas doing odd jobs. He is described to be pretty dumb, pretty easy to manipulate and control. So February 3rd, Bonin and Miley set out on the mission to commit murder. They'd found 15-year-old Charles Miranda hitchhiking along Santa Monica Boulevard. Bonin and Miranda first had consensual sex in the back of the van while Miley drove around. But then Bonin whispered to his accomplice, kid's going to die. Next, Bonin overpowered and bound Miranda, and then he asked how much money did Miranda have. The boy had $6. Bonin ordered Miley to take the money before Bonin then brutally raped him. Miley attempted to rape him also, but he could not sustain an erection, and so he, out of anger and frustration, poked the victim with sharp objects before they ultimately beat him up together, and Bonin ended up strangling the boy with the t-shirt and tire iron while Miley jumped on his chest. They dumped his deceased naked body on East 2nd Street in LA. Literally five minutes later, five minutes later, Bonin told Miley he was horny and that he wanted to do it again. Hours later, they encountered 12-year-old James McCabe at a bus stop headed to Disneyland. They promised that they would drive him there, but instead, Bonin drove to a grocery store where he then had Miley get into the driver's seat, and he himself got into the back of the van with the boy. Miley drove around aimlessly for a really long time, and he could hear the boy crying as Bonin raped him and beat him repeatedly before forcing him to fall asleep in his arms. This is the worst part to me. Um, I almost didn't even do this story at all because of this part, because he forces him to sleep in his arms, then to be woken up by him being beaten by both the men ultimately crushing his neck with a tire iron and strangling him with his own shirt. They dumped his body near a dumpster. The next day, Bonin was arrested, but, but not for anything to do with any of these crimes. He was arrested for a parole violation, okay? So he stayed in Orange County Jail until March 4th. One month. Now, March 14th, that's only 10 days later, 10 days after he got out of jail, he abducted and killed 18-year-old Ronald Gatlin. He's currently working alone again. One week after Ronald Gatlin, he nabs 14-year-old Glenn Barker 
and he bounds, beats, and rapes the boy, but he also inflicted his neck with several cigarette burns and sodomized him with foreign objects brutally before he ultimately strangled him with a ligature. 4 p.m. that same day, the same day, he kidnaps another boy, 15-year-old Russell Rue. He was bound, beaten, and raped during an eight-hour captivity before ultimately being strangled and left in Cleveland National Forest. So that's three victims in one week. Then that Friday night in March, he meets a young man named William Pugh. William Pugh was only 17, and he met him at Everett Frazier's during a party. I'm telling you guys, Frazier must have been a freak because his party guests are. So he offers Pugh a ride home. William does. And Pugh accepts. On the way home, he actually asks Pugh if he will engage in sex with him. Um, Pugh is caught off guard and stutters off about something and then quickly is like, ah, wants to get out of the car. So Bonin comes to a stop, grabs Q by the collar, and tells him that he enjoys abducting boys on Friday and Saturday nights. Hitchhikers that he can rape and abuse before strangling them with their own t-shirts. He'd ensured Pew that it was safe because Q didn't have to worry about him killing him. They could actually have this conversation and Pew didn't have to fear for his life. Okay, that sounds scary as hell to me, but... Intrigued by this, the man actually takes Bonin up on his offer, okay? And on March 24th, the pair abducted a 15-year-old runaway named Terry Turner from L.A. He'd run away from a boy's home only four days prior. Pew says that they lured the boy for $20 for sex. After they restrained, sodomized, and actually bit the boy... Bonin told Pew to beat the boy up, which he did. Pew bludgeoned him up and down in his head before Bonin strangled him with a t-shirt. Then they dumped him at the back entrance of an L.A. business. The autopsy revealed that they'd mutilated the boy's genitals and that he'd sustained eight fractures to the skull by blunt force trauma. This was the only crime Pew participated in. The next month, April of 1980, Bonin killed 16-year-old Stephen Wood. He was acting alone again. Three weeks later, he actually got his first partner, Vernon Butts, to participate in a particularly grisly murder with him. Unlike their usual MO, they had their 19-year-old victim, Darren Kendrick, go to Butts' apartment under the impression that they were going to sell or give him drugs. Upon arriving, they bound, gagged, sodomized, and partially strangled him with a ligature, not enough to kill him, before they ultimately had him drink hydraulic acid, which caused severe burns to his mouth, chin, stomach, and chest, before ultimately driving an ice pick into his ear. They dumped him behind a warehouse off the Artesia Freeway with the ice pick still protruding. This was the official last murder that Butts ever participated in. So far, Bonin's behavior, which has always been rather brutal and sexually sadistic, has been increasing in brutality and intensity. He is likely addicted to the endorphins and needs them at a higher dose, much like a drug addict increases their dose. Meanwhile, he has continually tried to get Vernon Butts to participate with him, bragging to Butts about those solo crimes that he did without him. But 
With Butts refusing on May 12th, Bonin decided that he was going to go ahead and kill a 17-year-old acquaintance named Lawrence Sharp because he was simply tired of him being around all the time. So he killed him in the same way that he always killed young men. He bound, sodomized, extensively beat, and ultimately strangled Lawrence Sharp. A week later, he killed 14-year-old Sean King. See, he also tried to get Butts to join him on this crime and even bragged to Butts again about this murder, but he was not budging. So Bonin decided he was going to go ahead and find another partner. Nine days later, he found a homeless drifter named James Michael Murno. So he moved James into the apartment and he got James a delivery job where he worked. James was a bisexual and primarily interested in women, but he did have a consensual sexual relationship with Bonin and he really thought Bonin was a great guy until June 1st when he said that he wanted James to join him in abducting, raping, and killing a teenage boy hitchhiker. And they freaking did it the next day together. They kidnapped 18-year-old print shop worker Stephen J. Wells at a bus stop. They enticed him to get in the van because they said that they'd pay him $200 if he let them tie them up before engaging in consensual sex. This time, Bonham brought him back to his apartment. And once they got him there, they began beating the teenager all along his face and torso before raping and ultimately strangling him. This time, Bonham put him in a cardboard box before he drove to show him to his old pal, Vernon Butts. Michael Murno was there, and he actually said that it was a really, like, described a casual conversation with them. Like, Butts advised Bonham on what to do with the body, and he's like, oh, wow, you got another one? Given the time of night, Bonin was advised not to drive out to the desert by Butts, and him and Michael Murno actually discarded the teenager at an abandoned gas station in Huntington Beach. Here's what Bonin and his accomplices did not know. Bonin actually was under surveillance because early in the 1980s, the murders were linked to a serial killer nabbed the freeway killer. A name Bonin actually really enjoyed, and he kept clippings of media outlets and newspapers and stuff talking about him. Um, So anyway, there was also a $50,000 reward, though, for any information on the freeway killer. And this was made aware to everybody through the media. It was all over the news. So on May 1980th, Pew, Bonin's one-time accomplice, the 17-year-old who was kind of scared of him, So he's in jail and he actually hears about this on the radio. So the MO is so much like that of Bonin's and Pew's the night that Pew assisted Bonin that he told his counselor. He doesn't admit that he participated in the murders, but he admits to knowing somebody who committed a crime with a similar MO. The counselor reports this, and the police actually interviewed Pew. Although he still withheld that he participated in the crime, he provided them with information indicating that Bonin could be the freeway killer, where to find him, and stuff like that. And then the police got to checking into this Bonin guy, and they looked at his background. So, remember, he's got those rapes on there, and they decided that they were going to begin monitoring him June 2nd of 1980, the next day. This is the day that James and Maruno killed Stephen Wells. I assume that maybe they decided on June 2nd they were going to surveillance him, but they obviously didn't surveillance him that day, unfortunately. 
11 days later, they actually caught Bonin driving around aimlessly. Um, they'd been tailing him and they noticed he was just driving around at random. And they noticed he was trying to lure young men into his van. So far, he'd been unsuccessful. Five boys would not get into the car with him. But eventually he got a boy to bite. Police discreetly followed Bonin and a potential victim who Bonin lured into his car. They waited as Bonin parked his van, and after approaching the vehicle, they heard screams and banging from inside. It turns out Bonin had handcuffed and bound the 17-year-old runaway named Harold Eugene Tate and was in the act of trying to rape him when police opened the van and stopped him. Bonin was arrested and held on a $250,000 bond. In his van, they found an arsenal of various restraining devices like cords, ropes, wires, along with an array of knives and common instruments that could be used for torture devices and sodomy. In the glove box was his scrapbook of paper clippings that I described earlier. Bonin initially maintained his innocence until he got a letter from the mother of the 14-year-old victim, Sean King. See, they did find the body of Sean King, but at that point, it had been listed as a John Doe. Bonin ultimately, after receiving this letter, confessed to abducting, raping, and killing 21 boys. However, he did not have any remorse or sorrow. Only embarrassment that he would was caught and caught so red-handed. He maintains that if he had not been caught, he could not have stopped. So apparently, Bonin was linked to many of these murders because he had a signature trademark. Investigators and ME noticed, for example, the green fibers were super unique to his van carpet, not super common. And he had a very unique method of strangulation called the wind glass strangulation. This was in the way that he wrapped up the t-shirts and put them through the tire iron and spun it. Okay, this was a signature move of his. The investigators knew when they saw that that this was the same perpetrator. Now, Butts initially held on to his innocence until he ultimately confessed to participating in all the murders he was accused of. However, his formal plea had been delayed and he successfully killed himself by hanging himself in a towel in his cell. Remember, Vernon Butts was his first accomplice and the one that he kind of got to come and join him a couple of times. Munro, which was the homeless cis man, who, by the way, was also pretty much illiterate, he was arrested in his hometown of Port Huron, Michigan, before being extradited to California. And Miley was arrested in Texas when police had a call recorded with him ultimately confessing and admitting guilt and outlining what he did to a friend. He initially pled innocent and then changed it to guilty at his actual pretrials. They both agreed to testify against Bonin. So both his accomplices did testify and it was very chilling very graphic testimony. Several members of the courtroom audience had to excuse themselves because the testimony was too revolting and disturbing. William Bonin was ultimately sentenced to death March 10, 1982 for 10 of his victims. He was ordered to wait execution via gas chamber at the San Quentin prison. The only time he was taken from death row there was during his Orange County trial, which 
was for four of his victims. He was placed in solitary confinement during the trial. And August 2nd, 1983, he was ultimately found guilty for each of those four murder charges. And he was giving the death penalty for each sentence. He stayed on death row for 14 years. Now, he tried to say that Vernon Butts was ultimately the ringleader, but it was so obviously not true. I mean, that was a damn, that was a desperate stretch. Now, the gas chamber was found to be cruel and unusual under California law, so William Bonin was the first death row inmate of California to die via lethal injection. He was injected February 23rd, 1996. No one from his family cared or went to go see him executed. His last meal was two large pizzas, three pints of ice cream, and three packs of Coke. He never expressed remorse for his crimes, and in a final interview he did over the radio, he said his only regret was not bowling long enough as a teenager to turn pro. This is something he wrote out in his final statement. I feel the death penalty is not an answer to the problems at hand. I feel it sends the wrong message to people of this country. Young people act as they see others acting instead of as people tell them to act. I would advise that when a person has a thought of doing anything serious against the law, that before they did, they should go to a quiet place and think about it seriously. Gregory Miley was 20 when he received a 25 to life sentence. He was housed in Mule Creek Prison until May 2016 when he was beaten to death after an inmate discovered he was one of the freeway killer's accomplices. James Monroe was also 20 when he received a 15 year to life sentence. He's still in prison, and an article in the OC Register, which is an Orange County paper published in 2014, he said that he'd been denied parole eight times. And a psychologist who interviewed him actually believes that he intends to continue Bonin's killing spree upon his release. William Pugh only received five years in Mule Creek State Prison for a manslaughter charge relation to his crime with Bonin. Oh my gosh, five years is so short, you guys. Is this not the craziest story? Okay, and you guys seriously need to go check out Storytime Slayer on Facebook and Story underscore Time underscore Slayer on Instagram because I'm going to have pictures of all these perpetrators and their victims uploaded and along with some miscellaneous photos and evidence. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I know this story was crazy today. Okay, so before I go, I want to update you guys on two things. For one, Lisa Montgomery, the woman, one of two women that I covered in Baby Mama episode about fetal abduction, she was the first woman to be executed in 65 years, and she did get executed want to say it was about two weeks ago and then billy ray turner which was the original co-defendant of lorenz and wright's wife in the, his murder case his trial was put off due to covid again which is the third time and it actually does not have a date yet so i'm actively keeping up with that so i can let you guys know what happened if you all ever have any other questions or want to update me or talk about some of these crimes that I've discussed, definitely send me an email because I want 
the updates just as much as every other crime addict who wants the updates. So, okay, guys, thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you.